everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us today, then let me just welcome you and say that I am so glad that you're here with us. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. John six twenty-eight records a question that the crowd asked Jesus. And this is what it says. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? That's John 6, 28. And I just want to start by asking this question. If someone were to ask you that very same question, what must I do to be doing the works of God? How would you answer them? What would you say? Would you say, well, you need to be, um, you need to, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to go to church. You need to give, and and other things like this. I would um, I'd wager that those would be some common answers. However, I want to say that's not what Jesus's answer to this question was when he was asked that question. That's not what he said in response. And what he said in response, I hope, is a is a breath of fresh air for you. Um, it's my heart for you that you walk away from this feeling um, encouraged that you walk away with joy and peace and gratitude in your heart towards the Lord and that you walk away perhaps with a burden lifted off your shoulders, a burden that you don't have to carry because Jesus already did. So on that cliffhanger, let's, um, let's back up in John and uh, John chapter six and work our way forward uh, to this part of the story and see how Jesus responds when we get there. So John chapter six um, begins with an account that is recorded in all four gospels, which is the feeding of the 5,000. Now this is something that we talked about back in episode, I believe 48. It was um, yeah. Five loaves and two fish was the name of that podcast. And I will link to that in the Um, description of this episode, but we know how it goes. Jesus and the disciples, they are, um, they are withdrawing uh, from the crowd. They are going away to rest. And then uh, the crowds follow them and Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. He heals the sick. He teaches them. And then at the end of the day, they're hungry and there's no food. And so, you know, there's um, this boy with the five loaves and uh, two fish and Jesus multiplies this and feeds this um, massive company of people. We learn from Matthew's account that the 5,000 figure applied only to adult males and that there were women and children there too. And so this was a massive company of people. And with this little boy's five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed this huge group of people um, to the point where they were all satisfied and there were even 12 baskets full of leftovers. And, um, and in my recapping of this, I've been pulling in details from uh, different gospel accounts, which recount this exact same event. And, uh, and I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff. Like I said, there's so many, um, there's so many conversations we could have about this account. And, uh, but, but there's just one thing in particular we're focusing on. But let me read verse, um, verse 14 really quickly. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So it's important for us to pause here really quickly to make sure that we understand what's going on. Um, 
before moving on because it'll help us to understand the rest of the passage. So whenever these people say this is the prophet, uh, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, what are they referring to? Well, the answer is going to be found all the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is um, the it's is Moses talking to the Israelites. It's right before that generation of Israel. Um, enters into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Moses himself would not um, be permitted to enter. And uh, so this is Moses speaking. I'm just going to read Deuteronomy 18.15. And, um, and, and the passage goes on. You can go read Deuteronomy 18.15 and, and the verses following, but I'm just going to read just verse 15. And uh, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then, like I said, the passage goes on. But there's this this expectation, of course, now of this, this prophet like Moses, right? And, and who is Moses? Well, Moses was the, the, um, the deliverer, uh, that God used. Well, God's the deliverer that, and he delivered the people through Moses. And so Moses we see is an imperfect reflection of the perfect savior. Um, Moses is a part of the portrait of, you know what Jesus will do, and, and when He comes, and 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 what what He's like. But Moses is, of course, an imperfect reflection. Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, is perfect. And the Bible is full of these things where these foreshadows, where it's like, okay, here's an image of here here this this aspect of this person's life is a, is is an image of of the coming Messiah, and and all of it finds its fulfillment in in Jesus. And so Moses, the deliverer, just like Jesus, I mean, Moses um, was used to deliver the people out of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, and and you know Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin, and uh, and and really in the in the Exodus story, Jesus is like both the Lamb um, that was slain, whose blood is put on the doorpost and on the lintel, and also the deliverer Moses. And so you see pictures of Jesus all over the place, but. But these people see Jesus and they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And then continuing in verse 15, it says, perceiving then that they were about to take him, I'm sorry, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so at this point, it's like, okay, now we should be, we should have kind of like the, um, the wilderness wanderings on our mind a little bit. We should have, um, Moses kind of on our minds. And if we read the rest of this passage with that part of the Bible kind of in in the backs of our minds, certain things are going to pop in really interesting ways. And we'll see those in just a moment. So Jesus withdraws. And then after this time, after this, this is when the, the disciples go across the lake and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Peter, um, we see from Matthew's account of it, Peter, that, that's where we read about where Jesus called Peter out of the boat. Peter walked on the water briefly. Um, and we talk about that in episode 49 of this podcast. If we don't control our thoughts, they will control us. And I will link to that one as well. So I'm not going to reteach that here. So then resuming in um, John 6, 22 and following, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So let's pause. So this crowd, it's the next day, they're looking for Jesus. They don't know where Jesus is. So they get in these boats and they go across to Capernaum. They're going to look for Jesus. Resuming in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so let's let's pause there for just a moment. So what's being said here? What's being said is these people's motives are being revealed to us. They're coming not because they saw the signs, but because they ate their fill. They are, and the signs point to who Jesus is. The, the signs reflect the reality that he is the son of God, that he is God himself, that he is the Messiah. These, these things, um, among other things, they, they validate his identity. However, you know, they're there. It says, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then verse 27, Jesus says, do not work. I'm sorry, resuming in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. And then here we are. We're back to the verse. We said right at the beginning, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And so let's see how Jesus answers. Jesus answered them. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let's pause there for just a minute. First, I want to point out this. They ask this question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Plural, works. Jesus' response was, this is the work of God, singular. Not plural, singular. And what was the singular work of God? That you believe in him whom he has sent. Belief. Belief. I've been um, reading out of the English Standard Version, but listen to how um, the New Living Translation puts John 6, 28 and 29. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So let's, let's pause here and look at a few other scriptures that talk about um, belief in Jesus. Just really quickly here. John 1, um, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so who, who received the right to become children of God? Those who received him, who believed in his name. What about the most famous Bible verse in the entire totality of the scriptures? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Um, let's flip over to Romans. Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17 say this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Flipping over to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 4. If I can find it, that's Romans 11. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Um, Flip all the way to near the you know the back of the entire Bible. John, First John, pretty close to the end. First John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. First John three twenty three. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as He has commanded us. 
before before pausing, let me just include one more verse from Acts, uh, one more passage from Acts 16. It's 30 and 30, uh, verses 30 and 31. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, this is, um, this is whenever Paul and Silas had been in prison and this is the jailer after there had been, uh, the earthquake and, and the prison doors were open. You can read all about that in Philippians. I'm sorry, Philippians in, um, uh, Acts 16 and, uh, verses 16 through, I guess really the rest of the chapter. Um, but in verses 30 and 31, it says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, they, notice the question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And so, believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe, believe, believe. And so this is crucially important. This is very important for us to understand because, listen, if we think about those things that we talked about at the beginning of this this podcast episode, the things like reading my Bible, praying, going to church, giving, so on and so forth, if we start there, and those are good things to do, but if we start there and it's like, okay, what are the works of God? Then let me tell you what is what is can so easily happen, even in the life of a believer. Very So this happens very easily can happen in the life of a believer. We start to use these things as metrics for how happy God is with us at any given time. We start to perform. We become legalistic. We start to try to maintain God's love and to earn his love. We try to keep him happy with us by doing uh, whatever we consider to be enough. And unfortunately, enough is a moving target. And on the days when we don't feel like we do enough, we walk around probably irritable, um, frustrated, uh, discouraged, guilty, all sorts of stuff. And um, and we begin to strive for perfection. And now it's, of course, a very good thing to want to walk in obedience to the totality of God's word. You know, it's like there are lots of things that the Lord tells us to do in his word. Like there's there's plenty. I mean... You could just go simply look at the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments or something like that for some very you know clear examples, but but my point is this: if we just start with these things, then we're trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to make ourselves right with God, trying to keep Him happy. Then um, we're going to be crushed. We're going to be we're going to be crushed. We're going to be walking around defeated. We're going to be walking around afraid that God is getting slowly irritated with us more and more and more. We're going to feel great guilt. We're going to feel great shame. Um, anytime we make mistakes, uh, we're going to just totally be crushed and beaten up entirely. And the reason why is because we're trying to be good enough when in reality we can't be good enough. This is this is the gospel. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And so but this is so important. And so Jesus, of course, came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We could not live a perfect life. We cannot pay, you know, and atone for the sins that we've committed. We, we're, we're fallen. And so God himself took it upon himself to provide the one and only way. He died on our behalf. He paid for our sins. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, um, this is a pretty popular verse, probably made even more popular because uh, Chris Tomlin put it in a song. So <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange. His righteousness, our sin. His holiness, our iniquity. And so, and so how, how do we experience this? We believe in him. We believe in him. We place our faith and our trust in him. And uh, it's not something that we earn. It is something that is freely given, and it is not something that we maintain. It was something that was given, not by effort, and so then it's not maintained by effort. It's received. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so, I want you to be feeling some relief right about now. Because if you're like me, then there have been times where you have maybe had this idea floating around in the back of your head, you know, the Lord's probably getting annoyed with me. He's probably getting frustrated with me for not being further along. Um, I sure hope I did enough today. I, I hope I read my Bible enough. I hope I prayed enough. Um, you begin to second guess all your decisions because you have this like massive fear of doing the wrong thing unintentionally. And so you overanalyze things into the ground and, and, and you live in fear instead of freedom. And these are symptoms of somebody who doesn't understand that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is given to you when you believe and that offer is extended to all. Like it says, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This, this is, um, for Christ, uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes or for everyone who believes. And, uh, that was Romans 10, four. And so this, this offer is open to all. It absolutely is. And so we just want to come back when they say in John six, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so I want to ask you, my friends, do you believe? Do you really believe? Because if you really believe, not just intellectually agree, but if you really believe, you're doing the work of God. Do you feel the freedom? Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself and that you don't have to do for yourself. You don't have to try to be righteous with God or right with God because you already are right with God because of what Jesus has done. You don't have to try to be righteous because you already are righteous. Now, let me stop there and say that, yes, anyone who has truly placed their faith and trust in Jesus is going to, their lifestyle will reflect that um, because we're new creations. I'll come back to that in just a moment. And so don't hear me and misunderstand what I'm saying here. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. So just hold on if, if for a moment with that, but I just want to, I just, before moving on, I just want to comfort you and just say, just believe in him. If you believe in him, if you truly believe you're a child of God, you were adopted into his family. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are right with God. You are right with God. And so you can just exhale. And that means this. That means that when you read your Bible, 
that when you pray, that when you give, that when you go to church, that when you share the gospel, that when you give to the needy, that when you do all these things, as you should, it's not motivated by trying to keep God happy with you. It's not motivated with fear of him loving you less or motivated by fear of him getting irritated with you or, or something like that. It's motivated by love. It's motivated by love. Remember when Jesus summed up the entire law, he, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he says, love the Lord, your God with the totality of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. In John 14, 15, um, he said that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And so we see the true motivation for obedience is love for God. It's love for God. And let me point something out. If you're trying to obey from the perspective of keeping God happy with you and being righteous, then the question is always going to be, how much do I have to do? How much do I have to do? What is, what is the line I have to attain? It's almost like, what's the bare minimum of what I have to do? But if love is your motivator, if you are motivated by love for God and love for other people, then there is no, like, like that, that sort of line doesn't even exist because you're, you're not looking for the bare minimum to do to check off a list. You're driven by this. It's kind of like where Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. And so you're driven by this love, this desire to just say, I love you too, to God, and just to show people love and wrap your arms around people. And that's operating within freedom. That's somebody who knows that the love of God in their life is set because of what Jesus has done. You are doing the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. Now, quick couple of statements I want to make about this, and then maybe we'll go a little bit further in John, um, just to kind of um, close things out a little bit. A, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And this is second, that, was, that was part of 2 Corinthians 5.17. James says that faith without works is dead, of course. And so I just want to say this. If we're a new creations, then there's a change. There is a change. Um, it's been said that we're not saved by good works, but saved unto good works. And basically what, what is meant by that is, you know, works don't lead to salvation, but salvation does lead to works because we've been changed. If indeed we are new creations, if, if indeed we have been transformed, um, I find it interesting going back to the Ephesians two passage, which we read just a minute ago about how we are saved, um, uh, by grace through faith, right. And, and how it's not a result of works and, but then verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Back in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, um, You are the light of the world. This is verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so... Do works matter? Well, of course works matter. And anybody who takes the teaching that, oh, since we're the righteousness of God, then that doesn't matter what we do, has completely misunderstood the gospel. And such a person who's thinking that way should probably look in the mirror and start asking some questions about themselves because, I mean, I mean, again, if we're new creations, what does that mean? Paul said in Romans 6, 1, in the beginning of verse 2, or all of verse 2, actually, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
And so what I'm doing right now is I'm speaking against two wrong ways of thinking. The first one is I have to keep God happy with me. I have to keep him happy with me. And no, you don't. Jesus, Jesus took care of that. Just believe, believe in him. And we need to have a better idea of what the Lord is actually like. Um, because I think we have wrong ideas that he's up there slowly getting irritated with us. Where it's like, if he loved us so much to send Jesus to die on our behalf, then why do we think all of a sudden he's looking for opportunities to be angry at us? Um, which don't get me wrong. Of course, you know, God's wrath burns against sin. I mean, just look at the entire cross. I mean, if God's wrath didn't burn against sin, then, you know, then, then why did Jesus have to die? You know, why, why was there necessary for there to be atonement and sins to be paid for and all this? But let me, um, let me just, to people in this camp, let me read to you Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, and then a quote. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to what Jesus says there. He doesn't say, clean yourself up and come to me. He says, come to me. He says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And so, but it, so it's not clean yourself up first. It's come to the Lord. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, when, when we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us and he transforms us from the inside out, makes us look more and more like Jesus. And, and God, you know, um, really, uh, really, he, he transforms us. But listen to the invitation of Jesus. It's not, Jesus wasn't repulsed by sinners. And that doesn't mean he wasn't holy. Of course he's holy. The whole gospel shows the holiness of God, but he wasn't repulsed by sinners. He invited them to come to him. What really seemed to repulse him was self-righteousness, the self-righteous religious folks, right? Um, you see like in Matthew 23, but listen to this quote. Um, this is from the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. If you haven't read the book, you should. Um, he says, and I quote, Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And I love that last line so much. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Isn't that a beautiful image? And so I just want to say to people in this first camp where it's just like, no, you do not have to work for your righteousness. You do not have to try to keep God happy with you. That's been taken care of. Just breathe and receive the love of God. And the way that you're going to be able to really do this is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You need to really be running through your mind the truth of the scriptures. And I've given you many scriptures, um, you know, even here. Um, so even, the, even this passage we've been looking at out of John 6, where he says, um, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent and just realizing, I believe, I believe if you do. And if you don't, you can, but I believe, I believe I'm doing the, I'm doing the work of God. I believe. And so I'm trying to comfort those in this camp. Now, the guy who founded the ministry that I'm, um, on staff with, in addition to doing this podcast, mentoring men for the master used to say, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And we all need that at times. Sometimes we're in great distress and the best, what we really need to be is comforted. Other times, um, we, we need to be motivated to action and uh, reflection and, um, and whatnot. And so I just want to say, 
to, I just want to speak to easy believism and cheap grace, as it's been called in the past, which I alluded to a minute ago, which is basically, yeah, I agree with the facts of the gospel in my head, but I don't have to change the way I live. And I just want to, I just want to caution um, anyone who's thinking that way, because the Bible says, if it, like I said, if it is in Christ, he's a new creation. Has there been a change? There was a six-year period where I thought I was born again when I was not, from when I was 13 to 19. I had prayed a prayer, I had walked an aisle, I had been baptized, and yet I hadn't been changed. I hadn't been transformed. I was not a new creation. I didn't actually love the Lord. I didn't want to follow him. I didn't truly know him. I just didn't want to go to hell. Although, honestly, at that time, I didn't really want to go to heaven either. But given the two options, that one seemed better. And so, but no, I didn't actually love the Lord. It wasn't until I was 19 that I actually truly came to know him and to love him. And as we've talked about in this podcast before plenty of times, uh, John 17, 3, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That same man that I referenced a minute ago who um, founded Mentoring Men for the Master used to say that a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart, because there are people who agree with the facts of the gospel and yet do not, um, haven't truly placed their faith and hope and trust in Jesus and given their life to him and, and, and aren't, it's not... It's not the true belief the Bible describes. It's just kind of some sort of intellectual agreement. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I already did an episode on this. It was episode 21 called I Never Knew You, and so I'm not going to reteach it, but I just want to quickly point out a couple of things because they're relevant. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Note that. Note that. We'll come back to that. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These people did lots of good spiritual stuff. But then verse 23, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we see, I never knew you. I never knew you. Here's the crux. I never knew you. There's not an actual knowing. So let me just ask, do you know Jesus? Have you truly believed in him? Have you actually had an encounter with Jesus where you've come to know him? But notice also Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Does that mean works-based salvation? Well, that would contradict other passages of the scripture. And so that's not what's being said here. Notice at the very end of the passage, he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, which would be, again, talking about their deeds. And so are we talking about works-based salvation? Well, no, we're not. Remember, this is all about knowing him. But those who know him, there's going to be a corresponding lifestyle. If we know him, we are going to grow in our obedience. That doesn't mean obedience saves us. It certainly doesn't save us. However, obedience is an evidence that we do know him. And that doesn't mean that just because somebody's doing religious things that they're actually born again. No, that's true, obvious from this passage. But it is true that if we're truly being, if we're truly born again, then we're being transformed. And so that was, I know I've broken away from John 6 a whole lot, but I just want to say those are the two categories I want us to be very cautious of here. Um, easy believism, which is just, oh, I agree with it in my head and therefore doesn't matter. Holiness of life doesn't matter. And the Bible says that if anyone is not disciplined by God, then that person is not his child. We all experience the discipline of God, the correcting, loving discipline. You can read about that in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 3 through 13. But it's, um, so there, there's that into the spectrum. But then what we're really focusing on today, and that was just a necessary caveat about the easy believism. But what I really want to just say is this. Do you believe? Do you believe? 
do you truly believe? Because if you do, you're doing the works of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. He's taking care of righteousness for you. You are right with God. Fill your mind with the scriptures. Preach to yourself every day. Declare the truth over yourself. Let's just uh, look in John 6 a little bit more and we'll close out. See how the people responded to this. It says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Um, what work do you perform? I find that very odd that they asked this. And when, you know, on the day prior, they, uh, that was verse 30. On the day prior, he had just done the incredible miracle with the loaves and the fish. Then they go on to say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That was verse 31. I think it's funny. They're dropping hints. They're like, what sign do you give us? Well, you know, it says that, you know, um, uh, it talks about Moses and, you know, our ancestors and they're wandering the wilderness getting manna from heaven, bread from heaven, right? Uh, so hint, hint. And so it's like, these, these people are working hard. Just like Jesus said, they're, they're following him, not because of the signs. Why though? Because they, they either fill the loaves. And so, but remember, remember when I talked about the prophet a minute ago, this is reaching back to Exodus. This is pointing kind of to Moses and what happened there. And there's, there's kind of hooks into that account here as well. And so what does Jesus say in response in verse 32 and following, it says, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now, see verse 34. This is very similar to John 4 when he talks about living water with the woman at the well. Continuing verse 35, we have one of the beautiful I am statements of Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice, whoever believes in me. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Continuing, he says, But I said to you, um, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. I repeated that. It's not in the text twice. I just repeated it for emphasis. Um, but continuing on with verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. Listen, listen to what Jesus is about to say. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so the passage goes on. This is where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Um, obviously, figuratively speaking, the people, the, the majority, the vast majority of the people end up leaving. Um, and... Uh, and Jesus is there with the 12 after these people depart. Um, they didn't like what he had to say. But, you know, like I said, we continue to talk about John 6. But I just wanted to read through verse 40 there um, because of some of the things that were said. And uh, so just in closing, I just I just hope that you that this provided some sense of relief for those of you who may be striving, realizing that the Lord is pleased with you if you're born again. And I want to challenge those of you who think, well, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, 
agree with the facts of the gospel, but I don't need to live my life in any way that reflects that. So I wanted to encourage and challenge, encourage and challenge wherever you find yourself in that spectrum. But wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. And just like it said in that quote, the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And he's just saying, come to me. He said, he didn't say come to me, some who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Whosoever believes in him. And so, I hope um, I hope it's been clear. So, I, uh, I hope this has been encouraging to you guys. And like I said, a breath of fresh air. And if you have not heard it already, I would also recommend that you listen to episode 24 of this podcast in conjunction with this one. It's simply entitled The Gospel. And, you know, I talked a lot about believing in Jesus uh, in this episode, and that episode will go into additional detail. So if you haven't heard it yet, um, I'd recommend you check that one out as well. So I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that any and all gifts given are tax deductible. So if you feel so led to give, you can do so by clicking uh, the links in the footer of any of the podcast episode descriptions. And thank you so much to those of you who have given already. I know I've shared a few updates on uh, what we've been able to do as a result of your generosity. So thank you so very much. All right, guys, until next time, God bless you.